travelers, we're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Marshall James. Hi, everyone. Welcome to... You're not Ben. I'm I'm decidedly not Ben. You, I've also, not been graced with quite his handsomeness. But you're, you're also on camera. I am. You're Hello. supposed to be over there. I'm pointing at the producer's chair for people listening to this audio only. It's currently filled with office junk. Uh, everything is filled with office junk. Uh, we are going to VidCon this week uh, as Cass, the toy company. So if you guys are at VidCon and want to hang out, we will be there. Um, or what I'll is, be there. What is VidCon? VidCon is a YouTuber convention that takes place in Anaheim, California every oh. summer. Uh, it's this weekend. We'll have Cass. We'll have a booth. We'll have limited edition uh lovums to give away which are spiky little fun characters they're rainbow unicorns so if you want a cool rainbow exclusive unicorn you can get it at vidcon there'll also be at gen con so they'll be those will be available at gen con as well as gen con exclusive dragon lovums if you want to see what a lovum is go to cast.co Great. website www.cast.co weird accidental advertisement because i didn't mean to do that in general welcome to the podcast if you want to find us we are at the mmcast i am at Cass wiley I am at Marsh Unfocused. Uh, and we are a, the modern podcast on the internet. We are on Collective.company, all the good things. If you're on YouTube right now, make sure to subscribe and all those things. Today, we are doing our top uh, 20 M20 cards. Appropriately um, 20 20 cards. So a lot of 20s going on. <laughs> that was actually unintentional, which is why I stumbled through that process. Uh, but hindsight, <laughs> it's 2020. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> So you got a whole bunch of looking forward to that viewers. <laughs> We're going to go over those real quick. We do have some news things. Uh, the ban list announcement happened this week. Oh, yes. So they very quickly acted on Hogak. Uh, I think this Hogak, the closest the Hogak situation has had to a dominance in a format was the Eldrazi winter. Mm. And even then there was like three Eldrazi decks between like black, white, Bant, and even blue, red. And then there was the the bug one that was at the pro tour. So there's a bunch of different ones there moving past that. There's one Hogak deck. I mean, the only other time is kind of the delve era, but then there was even like, I believe the pro the GP before they did the ban announcement for treasure cruise and birthing pod had a top 16 where there was not a deck that had more than two spaces. And most, I think it was like 14 decks in the top 16. So as far as diversity goes, it was great. It just was all, relatively degenerate <laughs> right whereas um, this uh hogak deck has been making up like 50 and 60 percent of top 32 every tournament yeah. and has also been just super dominant so and then, it's not pretty much every single build is almost exactly the same yeah there's like small little variations but it's not like the difference between jeskai ascendancy blue red delver and birthing pod or even black white eldrazi bant eldrazi and blue red eldrazi it's the exact same 70 It's all cards. black, red. <laughs> mill you out while milling me out. Yeah. Kill, you, kill you all on one power turn. And that power turn is oftentimes turn two. Yep. So that's gone. What they banned was bridge from below. Uh, we'll see how good of a job it does to kick the deck out of the format. I do, you know, we talked about last week or on the audio format version of the podcast that we released that is on Channel Fireball's YouTube channel of us doing the live show for Magic Fest Seattle, we kind of went through every card in the ban list and then also talked about what cards we think should be banned. And uh, Bridge from Below was kind of our pick for most likely pick here. Um, and then the conversation was, do they want to take a swing at Faithless Looting, which I think is here to stay for a long time, or do they want to go for Altered Dementia, which is a brand new card, making it unlikely at this point, though I do think if Altered Dementia decks continue to be too powerful, then we'll see that card going away. But at this moment, I think the Hogak deck is still a tier tier one deck. I think it's a good deck, but I don't think it's as dominant as it once was. It no longer has that combo potential without um, Bridge from Below, and I no longer have to get Bridge from Below. And Ensnaring Bridge confused because there's only one Bridge in Modern now, everybody. <laughs> get hyped. Well, and it's also nice because now, so now the Hogak decks will very likely no longer use... Alter of Dementia as a win condition. They'll probably still keep it to fuel themselves because yeah. it's so strong, but now it's going to be more of a traditional Vengevine style beatdown deck that also has an 8 8 that it can cast right. on turn right. two. Right. Well, because the, 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 
the Dredgevine deck lists were popular last summer. It was a, it's probably been a tier two deck since then. And Hogak is a great piece of that deck. Alternate Mentre is also a great piece of that deck. The problem is that when you add the layer of bridge, allowing you to kind of use it as a repeatable combo effect that you had all the issues and bridge from below was been a problem pretty much in every format it's been legal with at some point right and on on top of that it like isn't a real magic card it's a Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> right. card it, does, it <laughs> might as well not have a casting cost um i think i think aaron forthsyth and a few other matt tayback both tweeted that uh it is the highest ratio of uh least amount of times of being uh actually cast versus uh, most times being banned, <laughs> right? Right, because like, like, has anyone ever cast a bridge from below in a, a tournament level? Matt, no, no, but but it still has won plenty of tournaments, yeah, which yeah. is insane. Um, I think so. Good riddance, bridge from below. We didn't need you. Yep. Um, and the only other thing to talk about is in the ban announcement, they did talk about how they are unlikely to ban cards that they feel like are enabling multiple decks and strategies. And they're more often going to look at cards that are specifically problematic in decks that are problematic. So with that information, it is very unlikely that faithless looting ancient stirrings and other kind like Mox Opal is a good example of this pieces that kind of enable different strategies to work and powerful pieces for those decks to work to go away. And more often you'll lose cards like KCI Right. Uh, the card that's the central key to a dominant deck. Or or the card that, with Bridge from Below, puts a, do- a dominant deck just above the level of power level that they're interested in. And right. And this seems like a safe test, because if Hogak, if this doesn't stop it, which it seems like this would slow Hogak a bit, but if this doesn't stop it, then they could go, okay, maybe we also need to cut alter or something like that. right and, and 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 i did there was a sh- a good twitter thread and i shouted out a few episodes back so i'd recommend listening to the magic fest seattle one because I, I call out the person who did the tweet and that is now so long ago that finding it will be difficult but uh basically they went through the process of like it's not faithless looting faithless looting is just the best graveyard enabler if we banned it people would play instantly neo knight or they'd play cathartic reunion there's a lot of replaceable pieces of that card it's just the slightly best version of doing what it does the issue though becomes that Wizards has over the last two years printed extremely powerful graveyard interactions between Arclight Phoenix, between Creeping Chill, between Hogak, Alter Dementia. You know, these are all cards that have just jump-started the graveyard really far, and eventually that gets to the point where you can't really fight it. And, and I think that looking at those individual cards is going to be a better process for Wizards than looking at, like, if you ban Faithless Looting, you Got a lot of decks, and that lowers diversity, in my opinion, than than not. And I guess my biggest statement is unban preordain, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Which listen to last week's episode, there was a lot of good discussion on why preordain yeah. of all the cards on the ban list is probably up there with Stoneforge Mystic on as the a, two as, the two right. really safe cards that you know just unban them already. Yeah. And so we can get to the actual point of this episode of a twenty top cards from M twenty twenty review. Basically, why is blue of the worst cantrip? All right, so... But uh, first... But first, there's more. We should take a moment to do some shout-outs. Cool. What's up, guys? Masters of Modern here. I'm Ben Bateman. I'm Alex Kessler. And we've got a couple quick shout-outs for you guys that we wanted to remind you of on this episode. The first one is... Twitter at the MMCast. We've had a Twitter for years. It's a great place to interact with us. We post exclusive images of our brand new spoiler cards, all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out at the MMCast. It is a great way to support the show. Kess, where can the folks find you personally? I'm at Kess Wiley. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. The second thing is we have a YouTube. You may be watching this right now, honestly. You might be listening to it. But one of the big pushes for us in 2019 is to build this YouTube channel. We want to get more eyes, more ears, bigger guests, better episodes, higher production quality. We even hired a producer right now, so you might even see the camera angles change subscribe like comment it's going really well so far and honestly if you guys support it even if you're an audio listener already it's a huge thing you can do to help us grow this the third thing and maybe the most important thing for our long-term health is patreon.com slash the mm cast guys this year is going to have a ton of cool rewards for you we really want to make the patreon feel special and it's a great way to help us grow our ability to hire the producer to get new gear to do anything cool in the future is going to be dependent on our ability to actually pay for it. Because right now, Alex and I are just paying out of pocket for the show. You know, we love it, but that's what we're doing. Well, and and the producer will help us kind of make sure we stay on stuff on Patreon. So it'll be a really thriving community. Yeah. 
Now, the last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the Comanza. Jimmy Wong, Josh Lee Kwai, these guys helped us start this thing. Mm -hmm. Collected.company is where you can find their stuff. They're seriously the most professional magic people in the world. Not named Ben and Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they make awesome content every week. Commander Focus. They do game nights. They do uh, the Command Zone is the, obviously the podcast, the sister podcast of NMCast. Check them out. Collected.company. It's the same place you can find our episodes every week as well. And the last thing is if you guys want to check out a great community, check out the Facebook group, the Masters of Modern. There's a ton of people in there. It's very very interactive. There are constantly threads about new decks, new conversations. Uh, it's very active. Check it out. That's uh, Facebook, the official Masters of Modern group. And otherwise, let's get back to the show. Yep. Thanks, guys. Wow. Those are some great shout outs. Great shout outs. Some great commercials for yeah. anyone listening to the podcast. It's weird that Ben was just available at that one moment to help with shout outs, but then is now gone. You know, he's got powers that are uh, beyond describing. Yep. So, so <laughs> uh, moving in the top 20. So we're going to do it by color because that's how we do it. Luckily, unlike our last two reviews, there are actually only 20 cards. There's like. Well, there were actually. So one thing I thought was really amazing is that core sets. This is probably one of the most exciting core sets in the history of magic like as far as the sheer number of cards that i'm like ooh, that does something cool Ooh, that does something cool Ooh, that does something cool there's just like a lot of cool yeah yeah cool yeah stuff like this was not a boring core well, set and because there's a little bit of a tribal component like we're not going to get too into vampires or elementals or wolves or spirits but all of those archetypes got a lot of pieces and if there is a tribal deck around them it's possible that more than the individual cards we're pointing at are going to be the only card that gets adopted. Right. Like, it's funny that this is sort of a nice farewell to Ixalan because all four of the primary tribes of Ixalan, uh, vampires, dinosaurs, pirates, and sure. urfolk, all got some real exciting little cards for them to play around with for right. this last month while it's still in standard. Yeah, and it's interesting too to me because you definitely, there's a lot of pieces in this set that are also pointing at, at Theros being a future set we go to where there's multiple powerful double color devotion-esque cards as well as heroic triggering cards as well as... Some Enchantment Matters cards. Enchantment yeah. Matters cards. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of cool stuff. And that's what, of course, it's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to to like give a last hurrah of power level to a set that's rotating while also setting up new powerful tools for upcoming sets that come out. And that's what we got. Right. Um, now, let's start with white. Yep. In Wooburg order, because that's how we do it here. Yep. Uh, our first card was actually the first card we talked about in this set. And that is brought back white, white, instant. Choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn. Return them to the battlefield tapped. This was our preview card. We did an entire episode talking about this as a preview card. Well, actually, and then also the remainder of our review for Modern well, Horizons. But yeah. go check that out. There's an entire actual video on our YouTube channel that is just about the preview card. We do a whole discussion thread on what could happen there. Um, I recommend going to that because yep. that way we can save time. Uh, next is uh, the only other white card. So white not having a lot of depth in this. Yeah, really. Uh, Sephira Skyblade. Four white, white, white. Legendary creature, Angel 7-7. Seven, seven. You may pay one white and tap four untapped creatures you control with flying rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Flying, lifelink, other creatures you control with flying have indestructible. Um, at first, I was a little bit... Well, A... There's a cost reduction mechanic here, right? This is a one mana you seven seven. <laughs> a one mana seven seven flyer with lifelink that grants indestructibility to all your other creatures. Which is that's a lot, that's a mouthful to say for one white mana. Now, at first I was a little bit resistant, but then I started noticing in kind of the value option deck side of the world of modern that the What's the what's the new flashback make a bunch of flyers? Battle Screech. There, that there are Battle Screech decks actually showing up in tournament play, mm -hmm. and this just plops right on that deck. Right, yeah. <laughs> it just the, goes right in. The fact that you can use Lingering Souls or Battle Screech, um, and, uh, you know, this is the kind of card that even makes, or like Spectral Procession. There are, there are several decks that are doing that now, and so, uh, yeah, the, the fact that you can roll out either you cast and flashback a Lingering Souls, or you cast and flashback a Battle Screech, and you have the four necessary to run out a 7-7 seven, seven with lifelink that, that makes all them of those all tokens, indestructible. Yeah. So even if they answer Safara with a board wipe, you still you all you did was lose the one card, so they traded their board wipe for Safara. But if you keep her around, I don't know how you lose. Yeah. So if like, you untap after casting her, then like I don't think you lose. Right? Yeah, yeah. You have a a 14-point life swing, not including what all your other tokens that you had in play to be able to cast or do. Now, it is a little bit Magic Christmas Land, so getting her into play 
does take effort. But uh, yeah, I think this is definitely a card that we're going to be seeing see play in yeah. token strategies in these Battle Screech decks. And maybe um, even in Spirits, too, since yeah. all Spirits fly. So And the Spirits deck is blue-white. So. Yep, 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 yep. Right. Okay, so that's why uh, I don't... I think it's yeah. not the least represented. Right. Right now, I believe the next color, blue, is the least represented on our list with the number one blue card in the set, Tails End, blue one, instant counter target activated ability, triggered ability, or legendary spell. Um... Yeah, planeswalkers are legendary. That's huge. Right. So, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that this counters half of the blue white control decks, half a Jund now, or parts of Jund, not half, I guess. Parts like there's there's pretty much a legendary card in most decks, and the worst case scenario is you counter a fetch land activation. So this is an instant speed stone rain <laughs> for two mana. Like not that's your bad. base level, <laughs> yeah. and then you also get to counter things. I think this card's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, you got to remember that all Planeswalker abilities are activated abilities. Uh, so ultimates is where you would so, go. Yeah. yeah, you can really get them with that. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of you can count good it. legendaries. Even if you are able to snag their Thalia. Like, right. Like that's that's a huge tempo swing. Yeah, if you're in has legendaries. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, yeah, and that's kind of the point. It's like almost every deck has a legendary and then add the layer that most decks in the format are playing with fetch lands because that is a activated ability that you can counter. So you they would sacrifice a land, pay a life, and then you counter it so they no longer get a land. They lost the life and they lost the land that they played for that turn. So it's Ugh. kind of a huge swing. <laughs> yeah. Um, this card is super powerful and I can... can Imagine it, it seeing play. It will secretly win just a ton of games just by you casting it. Yep. Um, next card. Now we're in the black. Uh, scheming Symmetry. One black sorcery. Choose two target players. Each of them searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. So this is a vampiric tutor, but instead of the cost of you losing two life and it being an instant, you is now a sorcery and your opponent gets to also tutor for a card, and they more often than not will be able to get that card before you. Right. Now, two important pieces of that information. A, we live in a world where there's a blue-white control deck that plays the three mana Teferi that lets this be cast at instant speed. So you do get the advantage on that end. Mm -hmm. uh, two, this is a card that I would talk towards in combo decks, and often those combo decks are maybe looking to win on a axis that your opponent doesn't have a response for. So if you are in game one playing something like Ad Nauseam, you could literally just run this card in your deck, no problem, and they are likely un uh, they are unlikely to have a card that will be able to stop what you're doing when you cast it. Right. So you can cast it, get the combo piece you need, put on top of your deck, let your opponent go. Even if they counter the best card they have against you or their best threat, you're going to win when you untap because you found the combo piece you need to win and you've won. Right. <laughs> and also the fact that it, uh, you know, it costs just the one black, so it's as cheap as it can be. And it puts it on top of your deck. So then if you have any way to draw a card, you get your card first. Right. So if you opt into it or have an activated ability that allows you to draw the card, and if you're doing it to combo off, again, it's... Like it's like demonic tutor in that as long as you have a way to draw that card, uh, draw an extra card this turn, then you can combo off and kill them before right. they ever get to see the card they search for. And I really love, as far as a gameplay mechanic, I love that neither of you have. It's not a reveal. Neither mm -hmm. of you show the card you went and get. So it's a fun, like in that way that Factor Fiction creates a little game within a game. Scheming Symmetry creates a little. All right. Well, if he's gonna go for this, then right. I should go for that. Yeah. The fact that they don't get to see it, and and you. In some ways, it's a benefit that it goes on top of your deck in the sense that they also can't thought seize it out of your hand. So, mm -hmm. like, if you get it, they don't get the thought seize you. Right. Now, I'm hoping to get people with a thought scour in my life because they play this card. <laughs> how, how amazing. Yeah. If you scheming symmetry and you guys both search and then your you, next card is thought scour to thought scour them and draw the card you scheming symmetry. Yeah. 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 So... <laughs> A lot of cool card. A lot of cool play with this card. I'm really yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Um, next card, and this is the next black card. There's multiples. Uh, Legion's End. One in a black. A lot more black cards on the, on this list than I did. But Fair. Go on. Uh, sorcery exile target creature an opponent controls with converted mana cost two or less, and all other creatures that player controls with the same name as that creature. Then that player reveals their hand and exiles all cards uh, with the same name from their hand and graveyard. Um, I don't know why you didn't have this. This card is, I think, really good. So uh, I. This card was on my initial list, and when I was when I was Trimming. instructed to try and find just ten, <laughs> uh, so the only reason 
I've thought a lot about like what you guys have talked about, how Fatal Push changed modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it really puts the emphasis now on you don't want to just be beating your opponent card advantage-wise because it's a six-turn or or eight-turn format. You also need to get the most out of every bit of mana. So the fact that Legion, Legion's End, a lot of times, the only thing you can really guarantee that it'll ever do is kill one creature. Like, if you get any of the rest of the text, golden. But you're mostly only going to be able to get one creature. And because you can only ever get a creature that costs the same amount of mana as Legion's End, and it's a sorcery... Or, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, is you'll never gain mana advantage with Legion's End unless you snag two creatures in play. Sure. Um, and you'll never gain a card advantage unless you snag a, a either two creatures in play or a creature out of their hand. So I'm not saying this card is bad. I do not think this card is bad. I think this card is good. But I, I wonder I guess, where I guess. it fits in the world that has already things like Fatal Push. And, and so, so to kind of talk towards that... Eight Exiles versus Fatal Push, which is super relevant. Mm. And and on top of that, the way it's most relevant to me is that as a card, Gravecrawler and Bloodgast are two of the most played cards in the format, and this single-handedly answers both of them, oh, both true. in what's in their hand, in their graveyard, and in play. And that on its own is a card that would be important to me. Add to the fact that you're also like, it, because it's converted mana cost, instead of you get rid of Tarmogoyfs, you get rid of Bobs, you get rid of... There's so many threats anything out of basically humans entirely that like it's going to be fine most of the time because exile a two mana card or worse is fine mm-hmm. add the layer of also wreck some of the most dangerous cards in the format to me makes it extremely powerful That's fair. um I, I do think this is actually if i were to make it top five cards this would be in my top five from this set all right and you make good points yeah. um i get you and and you know like because in a world fatal push people do still play collective brutality people still play um, abrupt decay, and this I think is in that family where there are more corner cases where this is powerful and important. But those corner cases exist, and depending on what the metagame looks like, this is a very powerful removal spell. That's fair. Yeah, and I like fair. I would main deck this out. before any Doom Blade or the artifact version of Boom Blade variant. Sure, the sure. But I think yet. I feel like at yeah. that at this point, those are are out of right. main deck contention anyway. Right. But yeah, I hear you. Um, That's good points. Next card. Uh. Two and a black, Rotting Registar, Zombie Dinosaur. It's a 7-6 for three mana, and then at the beginning of your upkeep, you discard a card. What's interesting to me is how pushed this card is, because discarding a card is not a drawback. <laughs> yes. Not in, not in modern, it doesn't feel like, uh, that's for sure. So for three mana, I get a 7-6 that lets me get cheaper Lingering Souls and <laughs> birds That just gives you an outlet to discard dredge cards? And yeah, stuff. so like... It is a little bit of a cost. Obviously, it doesn't have trample. This is just a card that's really interesting, partially because like it shows how far we've come, because I do think this is on the lower end of power level of cards that we're going to be talking about today, because it's just a big dude. Um, just big, dumb dinosaur. B- big, dumb dinosaur. But I do think like there's a lot of words on this card that are very powerful altogether that like I can see this being a card that's he's played. Now, three mana is, I think, its worst contingency. Like, you're getting Tarmogoyfs for two mana, and that card's not very good. But... Yeah. This does have the added benefit if you can take advantage of it of discarding cards. Right. And it's and it's not an irrelevant creature type. Like zombie, they're really trying to make a modern zombies deck yep. that isn't necessarily I mean the Hogak deck is sort of a zombies deck, but it's not zombie Actually, tribal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um well, kind of but is. yeah. So yeah, well, I get it. Cool. Next. Uh, I think this <laughs> I get is the why last, you put it on here. This is the last black card we'll talk about. Two and a black Soren Imperious Bloodlord, legendary planeswalker Soren. Uh, plus one target creature you control gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. If it's a vampire, it gets a counter. A plus one, plus one counter. Uh, plus one, you may sacrifice a vampire. When you do, it, uh, he does three three damage to any target, and you gain three life. Uh, and then minus three, you may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. He can do that as he comes in because he has four loyalty. So he can either plus up or minus three immediately. And can do it and live. And live. And that's so, so wild to me that, like, if his ultimate... One, I don't understand why he starts with four loyalty. He, this card would still be worth talking about if he started with three loyalty and his minus three just killed him the turn sure. you play him because then it's you're essentially doing one of those spells that then lets you play like some big dummy. Um, but so the fact that you can for three mana play him and he will still be alive so that you can put a near Connor revenant <laughs> or, well, I think, I think the thing that people are talking about the most and Ben, Ben did a whole, and, and I would definitely recommend listening to it. He did a live stream on the YouTube channel. Oh, okay. That's just about, um, vampire lists using Soren, uh, Imperious Bloodlord. Like he did a whole episode of his little, uh, not his little live stream, but a live stream episode, um, 
Chancellor? I, Chancellor, right? Oh, the, Chancellor of the Dross. Chancellor of the Dross. So Chancellor of the Dross is a seven mana, six, six flying lifelink. It is a, as the internet loads, as the internet flies, uh, it is a seven mana flying lifelink. You may reveal this card from your opening hand. If you do at the beginning of your first upkeep, each opponent loses three life. Then you gain life equal to the life lost this way. It is a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah. So the reason this is beneficial is this card is really good when you have it in your opening hand. And then the fact that Soren lets you put it into play if you need to, to just get a big dude. Right. Is, I think, the thing that Ben was really excited about. You also do live in a world where there are a bunch of really powerful expensive vampires and even if you're just partially like i was thinking about um vampire nocturnus which is a four cost uh three three vampire and it says you play with the top as flying and it says when you play with the top card of your deck revealed and if it's a black card or a swamp vampires you control get plus two plus one so he's a huge vampire lord for his cost and even if you're just jumping up one mana you essentially jump one mana and get a planeswalker out of it. Right. And and like there's a whole list of because before Zendikar, vampires were a alternative to demons as the big iconic creature. So like Sazdek, Lord of Secrets, is a seven mana vampire. Well, Garza Zol was the was the modern one that I was really excited about. She's from Cold Snap, Michael Grothy's. Least, oh yeah, <laughs> most hated set. Uh, but Garza Zolze, seven mana, seven seven haste flying. Seven mana, five five flying haste. Whenever a creature dealt damage by Garz Garza Zol Plague Queen this turn is put into a graveyard. Put a plus one plus one counter on her. Uh, whenever she deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. That's right. A lot of so yeah. There's just a lot of really powerful, large, expensive vampires there's a bunch of mid-tier ones like five drops and four drops that are powerful but they're just just over the line and even just like spending three mana on soren to put in a three or four drop or two drop vampire into play that's powerful enough to protect him so that you can untap with both on your next turn is like just a significant power swing and i think that war of the spark made us lazy in appreciating three mana planeswalkers but Three mana planeswalkers are all really powerful, <laughs> right? And and he has two significant plus ones, which are both uh, pretty pretty yeah. rad too. Uh, the the plus one that does like a little lightning helix off of a of a vampire is is pretty sweet too, right? And and you know it's interesting. All of the planeswalkers in this set, not all of them, but a lot of them, I like taking the cool technology they developed in War of the Spark and using it moving forward. Like the fact that this is really a two planeswalker ability with two pla- a planeswalker with two abilities that has a very limited third one but no ultimate right like that's like or the ultimate is like medium it's a sneak attack on a very specific creature type um so i, I i'm excited it's cool yeah um all right now to red cards red is very deep which is appropriate for this set where Chandra is the poster child. Yes, yes. Uh, so the first card is Fry. Red in one. Instant. This spell can't be countered. Fry deals five damage to dark creature or planeswalker that's white or blue. Um, are there good white and or blue planeswalkers in modern? Is that Pretty sure that every good planeswalker who isn't named Liliana Vess is white or blue. <laughs> not true. <laughs> I mean, in modern. For modern. Not true. Okay, Ren and Six is hanging out. That's true. Ren and, and Stimpy like, are showing, hanging out. Just doing, doing, doing... The gods work. <laughs> or the but lords work. The lords work. <laughs> the lords the gods work. Is the gods is work. There's at least 20-something of them. <laughs> yeah, we're at least. <laughs> so um, I think it's relevant when talking about Fry that this is Fry is part of an uncommon color hosing cycle. And they've done this every few core sets. Uh, they've at least, I think they've done it in almost 90% of them. Now, often, for especially the first couple, it was mostly just reprints. The one that keeps getting changed has been the green one because they like have not figured out how to make a powerful green color hoser. But although I think they have now. Okay. I, I feel like I feel like Veil of Summer, <clears throat> which is the green part of this cycle, uh, will see play and um, instant draw a card if an opponent has cast a blue or black spell this turn. Spells you control can't be countered this turn. You and permanence you control gain hexproof from blue and from black spells until end of turn. All for one green. So it's basically blue and black spells cannot interact with you. And it cantrips as long as your opponent is playing blue and black. So it's an exciting answer to something as simple as Thoughtseize. Mm -hmm. um, But it can also prevent a spell from being countered after the counter spell has already been cast, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It can prevent a fatal push that's, you know, like it just, 
does a workhorse load of stuff against blue and black. Sure. I think that I think this is a chance of seeing play. I don't think it'll see play in modern. I think it's it's just Veil of Summer. Veil of Summer. Really? Um I think there's just better hate cards you get than just like a weird random. I think already the color hosers are r- like the the white one and so, they don't see that much play as is the white one probably seeing the most play mm. of the original five. Um, maybe it sees play. It could have potential to see. And I'm not saying it won't. I think Fry will see a lot of play. I yeah, think Fry yeah, is yeah. an insane amount of text. I, I agree. I think, I think Fry is great. And um, uh, if it wasn't for the fact that Flash Freeze just no longer sees any play, then I would have been a bit more excited about uh, the blue ether gust, which is uh, a blue and one instant choose target spell or permanent that is red or green and put it, put on, it top. on top or bottom of its owner's yeah. library. So the fact that it can be a memory lapse or a time ebb or just essentially almost better than exile yeah, yeah. against uh, a wide range of things is also pretty yeah, interesting. I think, I think that card's pretty powerful. I, I, I do think that they all have potential to see play. I guess don't get me wrong on that end. I do kind of just wish they just would print like destroy target non-creature permanent that's blue or black. You mean it go right great. back to red red elemental blast yeah. and blue elemental blast? <laughs> but I think uh, this is like an exciting way for them to do it, like as a burn spell that just like burns everything you want to burn yeah. and you can't stop it. There, there are a ton of cards that I have played that are worse than this in modern. And this is just better than them. <laughs> uh, next card, Chandra, Acolyte of Flame. One red red, legendary Planeswalker Chandra. This is the rare one. Uh, zero, put a loyalty counter on each red Planeswalker you control. Zero, create two one one red elemental creature tokens. They gain haste, sacrifice them at the beginning of the next end step. Or minus two, you may, there's a lot of text here, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with convert a mana cost three or less from your graveyard if that card will be put into your graveyard from this turn, exile instead. So, in and order, loyalty. it adds a... The ability to just Snapcaster Mage twice for three or less spells. Mind you, the best format, the best mode on Snapcaster Mage in general is Lightning Bolt. So great. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, you have the ability to just be a threat. So zero mana, get two damage across the board um, that are also available to sack if you need sack outlets or do any other many things. Um, zero mana to put a loyalty counter on her or all of your red walkers and and the one thing that kind of really excites me about this is all yeah red planeswalkers is that like there are some pretty powerful red ones including the gold ones so you have red and red and six and uh one i'm pretty excited about the try and play with chandra though it's five mana so probably bad is the new soren that sarkon. then or new sarkon sorry that then turns her into a dragon and he gets bigger they're hanging out. This Planeswalker, Red Tribal. Yeah, this is like when sh- when this card came out and it mentions that it essentially buffs all your other Red Planeswalkers and right on the heels of Sarkon, it's really starting to feel like maybe they're going to explore this that uh, aside from White, which has had a Johnny helping out other- your other Planeswalker cards, none of the other colors have ever really had these, pla- this, these Planeswalkers tribal. help other Planeswalkers. Now Red has at least two planeswalkers that help other planeswalkers and that would be like a cool space to explore and i think that's trying to play a little bit more into the romance angle of red or at least the the like the, the, the friendship, the friendship emotion good, yeah, yeah good emotions um which is great i, th- I think the more well-rounded red's color by it becomes the happier i am so secondary and planeswalker tribal works for me yeah plus red and white together need more stuff to do and that might be what they're doing is they're looking for commander formats, especially. Oh, yeah. That'd giving, be cool to give us like a Boros commander who is encourages to play Boros Planeswalkers yeah. for some reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, as a person who plays a Mardu Planeswalker commander deck under Queen Marchesa, I would welcome that. Absolutely. All right. Glinthorn Buccaneer. One red, red creature, Minotaur, Pirate. Haste. Whenever you discard a card, it deals one damage to each opponent. One in a red, discard a card, draw a card, activate this ability only if Buccaneer is attacking. It's a 2-4. So it's a 3-mana 2-4 with haste, which is actually a relatively good rate just on its... It'll survive Lightning Bolt. Right. It survives a lot of removal. It gets in for damage immediately, so there's an immediate effect on the game. The other piece is that there's just a lot of decks right now that take advantage of discarding and drawing cards, right? So you have the hollow one decks that this could maybe slide into, or you have other decks that maybe give them a way to go over the top if those decks stall out or are unable to do damage. Oh, yeah, that is pretty exciting that uh, for one mana, your uh, Faithless Looting will burn your opponent for two, and then if you flash it back, it'll burn them for two more. 
Yep. Um, so one faithless looting hitting your opponent for four in the face while doing all the faithless looting stuff. That's pretty cool. Right. That's the, I think they just like, and then you had Bedlam Reveler or you had other things like this or the cathartic new reunion. cathartic oh. reunion. Uh, what's the new sexy pyromancer? Seasoned pyromancer. Seasoned pyromancer. <laughs> sexy pyromancer. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have his shirt on, so it's kind of a sexy pyromancer. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I think there's just a lot of cool space. Like, Red has a lot of powerful discard abilities, and this encourages you to play that at a rate that's already not necessarily negative and has a secondary ability that does let you kind of discard cards you don't want. Like, it combos with itself and then adds to a lot of features. Um, Some interesting yeah. interesting potential. A lot of text that seems powerful. I don't know if it's quite there, especially because Season Power Mancer just came out. I do believe it's just a more powerful version of this card, but I do think they like to hang out. It, it is interesting that it, it's sort of like, you know, people talked about when Astral Drift was printed, would we be getting a Lightning Rift um, or a Lightning Rift version? Mm-hmm. And so we haven't gotten that yet, but Glintorn Buccaneer comes kind of close as a creature that triggers off when you discard, which includes when you cycle cards. Yes, yes. So... Um. Also, yeah. Uh, next card, Goblin Ringleader. Three and a red, Goblin Haste 2-2. Two, two. This is a reprint. I think this is the only reprint on our list because we try to avoid them, but Ringleader is new to modern, which is... Well, and obviously the ley lines already see a ton of play. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's Grafdigger's Cage and there's Steel but Overseer. This is the first reprint into modern. Yeah, I don't so. think there's another card that I'm thinking of, or at least not a relevant one, that is new to modern, though it is a reprint. Uh, right. Wing Goblin Ringleader enters the battlefield, reveal the top four cards of your library, put all Goblin cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. This is... Is, there is now, I believe, only three more classic legacy goblin list cards missing from the format for all of that deck to be legal. Uh, two of them are likely to never be legal. Those are Wasteland and, and Lackey. Oh, no, I was going to say um, Port. Yeah. Richard and Port. I feel like Port. Okay, I guess I, I feel like all three of them are not likely to ever see. Sure. I think Green Lackey could. I like <sighs> Lackey, like man, an unanswered Lackey just produces so much value for one mana. Sure, but, but if they if they like really want goblins to work and it continues to not work, and it's because Lackey's not in the format, because uh-huh. um, I only like yes, an unanswered Lackey would be bad, but like we live in a world where Lightning Bolt, Fatal Push, Path to Exile, like Lackey was partially good in Legacy because of the mana denial package and because most decks weren't running creature removal at the time, right? That's when fair. like and it has no evasion, so that all the creature based decks like Spirits and Humans would immediately have somebody to block the Lackey. Right. So I, I don't know if Lackey itself is actually too powerful for modern. It's not currently in modern. The closest we have is Goblin. Um, Warren Instigator. Warren Instigator. Thank yeah. you. Was goblin Warren Lackey is a 1-1 one, one for 1 red that when it damages an opponent, you may put a goblin from your hand onto the battlefield. And Warren Instigator is that, but for red red instead of 1 red, and it has double strike. So it can put two goblins into play, and it was actually the main flagship card in my first standard deck ever. I mean, it's it's <laughs> like an exciting card that like threatens, but just like never really gets there. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just too many things to get in its way, and it's really easy to kill. Mm-hmm. Goblin Lackey, I don't think is that much better than that, though, other than the fact that you're just parody at mana, but then maybe good. Um, so the other goblin deck that there's other, the two is obviously eight whack. This doesn't, this does play into that a little bit. It is a little top end of a card draw engine. Ringleader, card draw engine version of this deck. It was one of the pieces you, we got the tutor last in modern horizons. We now have, and then, sorry, the, the other deck is the fecundity deck, which does seem to be what wizards wants to be the goblin deck. And I can even imagine them printing a goblin in the near future that just does what fecundity does on a goblin if they really want that to be what happens yeah well it, <laughs> um, it seems like they're they're kind of cool with two different versions of goblins well obviously there could be some sort of mono red goblins but there's also fecundity goblins and then with the printing of several black aligned yes. goblins that maybe there's a black red like rakdos goblin like yeah. i i saw i've seen uh Saffron Olive has a really fun uh, deck that he was playing the other day that was like Rakdos Unearth Goblins, just like playing off the power of Unearthing Goblin Matron and sure. uh, Unearthing Pashalik Mons. Cool. Chandra <laughs> uh, Awaken Inferno for Red Red, Legendary Planeswalker Chandra. It cannot be countered. I believe that's the first time that's on a Planeswalker. It's a six-man loyalty, plus two. Each opponent gains an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep. The emblem deals one damage to you. It has a minus three. Chandra Awakened Inferno deals three damage to each non-elemental creature. It has a minus X where it deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker. If a permanent was dealt damage this way, exile instead. I think this is a very powerful card. Its biggest limitation to me is... 
it costs a lot. It costs a lot of mana. Right. So the I was the one who pushed for us to talk about it, mostly because I, I don't think this one is a main deck card, but I feel like this is this has all the right words on it to combat blue-white control, which I think in a void, blue-white control is maybe the strongest deck in modern. Mm -hmm. um, and so the fact that they can't counter it, so they can play their five-drop Teferi or whatever, and you can slam down Chandra and kill Teferi. Yes. And, yeah. and Chandra lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Chandra's loyalty-gaining ability is also her win condition. Right. Um, That's fair. And it's a win condition where even if she gets eliminated, the win condition continues to stick around. Yeah, you can literally just play her, kill it, plus one that turn, take whatever hits you get from their things, and then mi and then like minus it to kill a Planeswalker, and then you're just going to win eventually. Right. It does play a lot like Karanos used to, and it's just it's a almost as difficult to answer threat in the sense that Karanos you couldn't get rid of once it was in play. She can you can get rid of, but the emblems you can't, and she can't be countered, so she's easier to put into play in the first place right. in the matchups that you want her. And the fact that she can like just she's essentially also sort of an uncounterable board wipe is is also yeah. uh, pretty relevant. So I, I don't think she's necessarily main deckable unless there becomes a more like a Jeskai E control. But yeah, I, I feel like out of end. I feel like out of the sideboard for, she could be a really strong sideboard card against blue white. Yeah, out of, out of Jeskai, out of Grixis, and or out of Jund. All three of them would take advantage of this. And then I think also even adding the layer of like the just green red ramp decks, getting something that's an alternative version of a threat to fight against. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I do like. I, yeah, you sold me buying play sets. <laughs> <laughs> Next card, I think this is my. Excuse me. I think this is my favorite card in the set. I don't know if it's the best card or it's going to see a ton of play, but it's right up my alley. Elvish Reclaimer, one green, Elf Warrior, one, two. Uh, Elvish Reclaimer gets plus two, plus two. As long as there are three or more land cards in your graveyard, you may pay two mana and tap it and sacrifice a land to search your library for any land card, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. So I don't know if you heard of Net of the Reliquary. Looks like Night of the Reliquary got cheaper. Uh, it's a one mana Night of the Reliquary, but instead of the ability is no longer free and now costs mana. But and it doesn't get infinitely bigger with lands. It just has a threshold of being bigger with lands. Um, but it has a, like it does a lot of things that I like getting able to tutor any land out of your deck and putting it into play for two mana on a card is like very powerful. We've already seen with Ren six and other cards that they print into modern that life in the loam or land strategies or something wizards is both encouraging. And this is a card that plays in that space. Um, and it, it what it does to to me is it and it makes it feel of Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. What it does feel like is it that Modern Horizons was maybe less. These are strategies that we will not be supporting in the future, but more these are strategies that we want to be better in Modern. And with that in mind, in the future, we might get chances to also encourage it. Not necessarily that we won't get a chance to, which right. is kind of how they sold it at first. Um, but with this being added with lands, I personally believe there's a high chance we go to Viking World this fall or something similar and that snow is an important mechanic in that world. The fact that we didn't get a snow commander in Modern Horizons makes me feel like there's a snow commander in our future because um, Wizards has been pretty good at making sure that mechanics that are that supported with new cards get a commander nowadays. Um, so we'll see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This this. I, I love utility creatures that then have like this guy's a utility creature that then has the payoff like once even if you're just doing some little cute lands trick then once it's done its payoff it's a three four for one mana <laughs> well, I mean, which is a lot of value like that's that's kind of the thing that made early tarmogoyce real exciting was how cheap you got a three four or a, a four five or mm -hmm. a five six i mean you just play this fetch two lands and then use its ability once and it's a three four and you get to use its ability like the fetching lands is something you're already wanting or to do. Or sacrifice uh, one of the horizon lands. Yeah. Or, or, or just cycle one of the new cycle lands. Like there's so many different ways now to get lands in your graveyard, not to mention discard outlets and, and self-mill that getting him to be as big as you want him to be um, is pretty, pretty easy. As and long then as you want him to be a three, four. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is real. It dodges lightning bolt. It blocks like restoration angels at three, four, and it is the most important well flashes i guess but yeah there's a lot of powerful things on that um <laughs> and just being able to tutor lands as a backup plan and there are a lot of lands some of which we'll talk about today that being able to tutor as utilities is becoming better and better mm -hmm. um yeah i i think if this card doesn't see play immediately it's a good spec to pick up a bunch of copies because i think in the long run this card will see play in modern it just needs the right land to be printed it's got all the right things going for it it's mana cost the how big it is and what it can do so it's only a matter of time before 
it becomes powerful enough to do something. Not to mention the fact that redundancy is an effect that we talk about often is making it more and more likely a strategy gets better. And the fact that you now have this and Knight of the Reliquary together means that there is even more creature-based tutors for lands, not to mention uh, Wayfinders also in the format, mm-hmm. uh, Weathered Wayfinder. Um, Leyline of Abundance, two green green enchantment. If Leyline of Abundance is in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. Whenever you tap a creature for mana, add an additional green. Uh, six green green, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. This is the new green uh, Leyline. This and the red one are the only two new ones. Correct. My one statement, and I'm glad Leyline of the Void is being reprinted because it needs a new reprint, but black has only is the only color to only have ever gotten one green. Because they got it right the first time. (laughs) Um, They got it right the first time. So let's get maybe like in a a supplemental set, like just a black ley line that's not all by itself. (laughs) I want like all, yeah, I don't know what it would do. I'm not here to design it. But um, what's cool about ley line abundance is just it combos with a lot of creatures. I mean, like this in play with elves is just like backbreaking, not to mention other decks that tap creatures for mana. <laughs> it seems like that's the ideal thing here is that it's a plant for elves. If it's going to see anything in, in modern is that it suddenly makes your elves deck really insane and has a, uh, a built in win condition that can get real nutty real quick. But I wonder if it's to win more. For sure. Elves. Sure. Well, I, the fact that I think the ley line half is the thing that makes that important and possible. Sure. I think if it was, if it didn't have a ley line, then we wouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that you could start it in play on turn one, and then turn one make your elvish mystic or whatever, and it's like this this elvish it, mystic is making me have four mana on turn two. Right, you're you're hypercharging the deck so far by having this in play. And I've also seen like there's like devoted druid combo-y things that you can do with it. Like there's like other pieces that making extra mana is very powerful. Mm. So. I, I think this card will be attempted to see play at least infinite times. I don't know how powerful it will be, but it will always be like, I think it's one of the most like Johnny Jenny. I feel like this is the one of the cards that is most improved by the fact that we're now on the London Mulligan at all times. True. Because true. if we didn't have London Mulligan, I don't I don't think that the, the difference between being in your opening hand versus not being open your hand with this particular ley line is so huge right. that... You don't want to like oh, draw it on turn twos, but if you can like London Mulligan down to even just five cards, but if those five cards are like Forest, Forest, Leyline, Elvish Mystic, Elvish Arch Druid, all right, I'm feeling yeah. okay about this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or or Collected Company as the one, like, right? Oh, sweet, Elvish Mystic, Collected Company, some lands, I'm here. Right. Um. Next card, three green green. Uh, shared summon. Search your library for up to two creature cards with different names. Reveal them and put them into your hand. Then shuffle your library. It's an instant, which I think is the only reason this card is worth talking about. Uh, ben picked it out. I'm including it. This is a. This goes out to you, Ben. This is for you, Ben. Because I would have taken it off this list, Ben. <laughs> I kind of did last time, and he's like, "No, no, no! It's an instant." So we're talking about it. Uh, the fact that it's an instant. There are green. Like you get. A, like there are a bunch of creatures that if you have both of them, you win. Mm-hmm. And so this finds them at instant speed, which means you don't have to tap out for it, which means that the five mana cost is much less because just being an instant makes things cheaper in my head. Obviously, it's not technically true, but you all of the opportunity cost of casting an expensive spell goes away because you can hold up mana to respond to what your opponent's doing. And then if they don't do anything relevant or they don't do anything, you can cast this at the end of their turn. That also then forces them to interact with the spell if they have to interact with it on their turn, leaving your next turn open to do the thing. So I think like as a spicy one of include in collected company decks where like, as a fifth Coco, that also is just a tutor for the win condition you need. I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's a five mana spell. Yeah. That doesn't do anything. That when does you not cast win it. you the game or even guarantee that you're going to win the yeah. game. So. Um, next card, Risen Reef, one green blue, elemental one one. When Risen Reef or another elemental enters the battlefield under you control, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped. If you don't put the card onto the battlefield, you may put it into your hand. This is a card that uh, many people might recognize as beefy coiling oracle or corally coiling oracle. I mean, it's only one. It's more expensive coiling oracle, but with significantly more ceiling that coiling oracle has. And I mean, I think giant reef crab is it's a beautiful card. It, yes. Oh, yeah. Art is gorgeous. Um, and as a huge proponent of Coiling Oracle, I love seeing a new Coiling Oracle variant, and it's already doing 
crazy nutty things and standards. So I can only imagine. Yeah. So that's like kind of my thought on the subject is it's very powerful and standard. It is a little expensive for modern, but I do think its effect is, is strong and there are definite combo interactions. I can imagine where you're playing with something that maybe lets you cast stuff off the top of your library and this is in play or you're paying things that have cost reduction mechanics to it. Like, I think there's definitely things to do with it. I wonder if, uh, if I wonder if this will like already, we have Mardu pyromancer, but I wonder if this may create a teamer pyromancer because both sexy pyromancer and young pyromancer yeah. both make elementals when you do things. And if those elementals are then ramping you slash drawing you cards, it's very it's powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the other conversation is like elementals with the, this set is being very heavily talked about as a possible additional humans esque five color creature deck, and there are definitely enough oh, pieces yeah. to maybe accomplish that. Because they also there's, have primal beyond, as yeah, well. yeah. And there's like, tw- I think someone count like twelve hundred elementals in, or like in, <laughs> like it's, it's definitely one of, one of the most <laughs> one of the most prominent creature types up there with humans. And so. that doesn't even get into the conversation of stuff like Young Pyromancer, which then combos with this on a whole different axis. So I think I think there's a lot of really powerful things about this card. And at base level, it does three mana ramp you get a creature draw you a card all like all the things and they don't that, want to waste a removal spell on this guy so yeah. likely they then stick around to then trigger the next day yeah. like it's they they need to use removal spell on it because the advantage risen reef will give you but then like the feel bads of having to yeah. kill a i one spent one. one mana that you already like on your rampant growth and or yeah yeah um yeah definitely powerful card and it's Kaikar Winds Fury. One blue, red, white. Legendary creature, blue wizard. It is a 3-3 flyer. Uh, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. You may sacrifice a spirit to add one red mana. Um, speaking of fecundity. <laughs> uh, speaking, This does a lot. I mean, like, there's a lot of words on it. We were just talking about it in commander context. That I'm so excited to build, this, uh, build around this in commander, yeah. Like, one of the greatest things about it is in commander, it's generically good in many different strategies, which is kind of what the Jeskai color combo of blue-white-red needed because up to this point, all of the commanders in that color have either been bad or very specific towards strategies, and this allowing you to play a Planeswalker deck, Spirit deck, Flying deck, spells matter deck artifact matters a deck storm deck a storm deck yeah you you have so many different options and then even like sacrifice like just like as a sack outlet in blue white red that like black normally needs that so you have that as an option where you want to trigger mm-hmm. off of that so there's a bunch of really cool stuff that it does in modern it's pretty powerful i mean like you can gain a lot of value off of this card from it being in play, not to mention combo potential and other things of that kind of side. Like in Storm, just having some play even as just a weird ritual that rituals off of every spell you cast is yeah. not irrelevant. Yeah, in Storm, the the fact that it makes every one of your spells redeem a red mana uh, can definitely allow you to just fuel out. I mean, obviously the card costs four mana, which is not nothing. Um, but it's also interesting that it's could be a sort of transform transformational card for storm because if you're if your opponent's really hating on your ability to storm off then being able to just have kaikar in play and you can cast you know two or three spells on a given turn and just start making an army of yeah. spirits it gives you an alternate way out right it's much al- like uh, aria flame gives you an alternate way out that doesn't require you to storm out in one and turn that, or you don't need the graveyard even like you like this is kind of an alternative to empty the warrens that also hypercharges your strategy cuz it kind of does a it doesn't empty the warrens slash aria flame slash uh um electromancer kind of combo because like the the goblin electromancer ability is literally what this does it makes every that makes everything cheaper this generates a mana off of the last one further making everyone from that point on cheaper so more in just jeskai control strategies as a win condition that lets you kind of ramp into things if you need to like a a flying three three for four mana young pyromancer that generates you mana is an interesting on its own Um, yeah i guess this is more this is Slightly more interesting in a Jeskai deck than necessarily maybe Young Pyro or maybe Monastery Mentor. Like this feels like kind of like when Ben talks about like Monastery Mentor. It's like the best card seeing no play in modern right. because it's not it's in that awkward three mana spot. And, and and the fact that the tokens it makes have flying is not irrelevant. Like And the, the fact that the tokens can be cashed in for mana at any yeah, time is so, not irrelevant. So like it does a lot of different things that I think are really powerful and also just makes like combat math hard and like it does a lot of cool stuff. I'm 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 pretty excited about this card in general, like in every format. Yeah. Um 
Next, we're in the artifact land, and there's only one. Only one that you put down. Oh, do you have I, one? I would like to talk about Mystic Forge also. Okay, cool. Uh, go for it. Go for it. Mystic Forge. It's a four-cost artifact. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact or colorless non-land card, and then you may tap it and pay one life to exile the top card of your library. So we've had this effect uh, with, obviously, Future Sight and also Experimental Frenzy. Mm-hmm. Um Land and, versions and of it. And also, there with... was uh, the Vizier of the Menagerie was like the green creature mm-hmm. one. Now that one didn't see uh, any play, but uh, there are some decks who are playing a few experimental frenzies mm-hmm. to close out the game. And now that Future Sight is in modern, we talked a lot about whether or not that will start seeing some play. Mm-hmm. So this is an artifact that allows you to play artifacts, and well, artifacts I... tend to snowball. <laughs> so. Sure, and I, and like if you look at the lantern control strategies, this card is extremely powerful there because mm-hmm. the the biggest limitation on this is you get stuck with a land on top of your deck um, or a colored spell. Um, but the land one is like going to be the more regular limitation, and this allows you lantern control decks have no problem with that because every other card they're playing is about getting rid of the top card of their library. Technically, this contributes to that game plan when you're not going off with mm-hmm. it, and then it also just this huge card draw engine for that deck. Yeah. So I do think that this is a very powerful card draw engine for lantern control decks, among other artifact decks like Affinity and other other yeah, other the, playstyles. The Urza style artifact decks that yeah. they show up as well. So yeah, definitely. Um, and the other card in artifacts, mm-hmm. um, and we're not talking, I don't think any of the colored artifacts, I do want to touch base on a little bit that I do think that's a great design oh, space. I, I, love design. I love the living weapon riff. Yeah. I think it's real cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that I did joke with, um, pleasant Kenobi on Twitter about, uh, taking the red one. And then there's also the, the old cannon the living weapon cannon mortar pod. mortar pod and doing a mortar pod like both of those in the same deck. I mean, that deck would be bad <laughs> mortar pod tribal mortar pod tribal. But the fact that there are two, we talked about redundancy. Colossal hammer is the next card. One mana for an artifact equipment. A crypt creature gets 10 plus 10 plus 10 and loses flying. Uh, it costs eight to equip. Now, a steep equip cost, Alex Kessler. There's a lot of cards that dodge that. <laughs> this is this is also true. Uh, core. Uh, what's the best? What's the one core that does it? That's like well, so core outfitter equips something for free. Yes. Uh, well, there's a few core. There's a few cards that let you equip. There's the there, but the core outfitter. The most important one that lets you equip for free is Sigarda's Aid, which is one white enchantment. Whenever yes. it allows you to cast artifacts and equipments with flash, and whenever an artifact or, or, or sorry auras and equipments have flash. So Sigarda's Aid is one white enchantment. You may cast R and equipment spells as though they had flash. Whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under you control, you may attach it to target creature you control, which means that with this in play, you can attach this to any of your creatures. So there's been a lot of talk about if you go turn one core duelist, which is a 1-1 creature that says if it's equipped, it has double strike. Uh, And then you could play turn one core duelist, turn two Sigarda's Aid, and then cast this hammer and it equips to your core duelist. And now you have an 11-11 with double strike that you cast last turn. So it can now attack this turn. Um, And then add the fact that you have, which we mentioned as a redundancy effect, you can always play core outfitter, which is a 2-2 core soldier for two white. Uh, when I was battlefield attached to our equipment, you control a creature you control. So if you turn one to this hammer and turn two cast the outfitter, it puts the out the hammer on itself, and now you have a twelve twelve on turn two. Right. So you have that, and often there are double strikers you can play in that world. Infect creatures are very powerful with this that happening. People are already splashing white for infect to play uh, Newt's a fairy because yeah. he blocks your opponent out, making it so you win the game. That's true. If you you could go turn one Horizon Canopy, make your Glistener Elf. Turn two Sigarda's Aid, cast the hammer. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, thanks and you for just playing. win the game. Um, so definitely really powerful interaction. Just a lot of beef. I think this is a really cute card. I don't think it'll ever be like a tier one competitive deck unless the equipment um, double striking version of it becomes powerful. That I think is more likely than the effect one, though I want to try the effect one more. It's definitely a card that makes it to where from now on, uh, you know, ever so often Wizards is going to do a riff that allows you to skip at an equip cost. And so we should just always keep our mind thinking about, well, there is Colossal Hammer, yes, which is right, about correct. as cheap and as bonkers as an equipment can get right. if you're dodging the equipment cost. Um, next is Field of the Dead. Field of the Dead enters the battlefield tapped. Add one colorless. Whenever Field of the Dead or another land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands with different names, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Um 
So this card is already blowing up standard because it turns out it is not that hard to play a bunch of different lands. And the interesting thing about Field of the Dead is it doesn't care if the land coming into the battlefield has one of those unique names. As long as you've reached the critical mass of seven, then any land you play is going to make a zombie. So there's been a lot of talk about how this card is essentially a new Valakut, the Molten Pinnacle. Whereas Valakut needed you to silo into mountains, this allows you to diversify your land base. And modern is filled with a proliferation sure. of amazingly good lands. Once, is the standard deck playing Scapeshift? Because I believe yes, yeah, there are so. there are Scapeshift there are Scapeshift decks pl- uh, playing Field of the Dead. There are also in standard some of the Gates decks sure, are playing okay. it as well. And and I think I think I guess my my I think the Gates deck that's pretty interesting actually because I know that Gates has always been something that like people have tried to make work in modern. I think most of the time the hoop of having to jump to play like mountains in in modern right now is just not that hard that I think Valakut is just always going to be a step better than Field of the Dread but for decks like Gates for decks that are trying to do a slightly different thing than necessarily what that's doing and this is just a a an extra piece of the deck as a win condition not necessarily a deck strategy being built around it it's definitely interesting yeah um and then last card of our list. Oh, and the oh. Uh, one other thing that's exciting about Field of the Dead is it's not legendary. So once yeah. you can start getting multiples it in gets... play, then it's like every land you play make two or three zombies. It's, it can start getting really, really wild real quick. And speaking of lands and getting extra lands into play, kind of, and speaking earlier of getting lands into your graveyard and all of those things, Lotus Field, land, hexproof. Lotus Field enters the battlefield tapped. Lotus Field when it enters the battlefield, you must sacrifice two lands, and you can add, when you tap it, three mana of any color, any one color. So it is a black lotus on a land. You have to sacrifice two lands to put into play. And it ETBs tap. And it ETBs tap. it is a land with hexproof, which so, is, I think it's the only land, one of the only lands with no, hexproof. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a few other ones, I there's think. There's a few that have indestructible, but I don't know how many. Oh, have hexproof. Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't think there are so, any with hexproof, but I think so, shroud and indestructible exist. So, yeah, so I think there's a couple things to talk about this. One, because it has hexproof, this is a land that if you're playing uh, like in land enchantments, cheap land enchantments, sure. like that add add mana production onto it, you can essentially dump all of them onto Lotus Field. You right. never have to worry about it getting a Field of Ruined or whatever. And given the fact that Field of Ruined and stuff are running around, it's great that you never have to worry about your opponent yeah, so messing it, with your Lotus Field. It, it got rid of the two big negative drawbacks of Lotus Bloom. Veil. Veil, Lotus Veil, which was that the lands that you sacrificed had to be untapped and that it was easy to target with removal. Therefore, it would just get blown up and you would lose. Now, the main deck I think this is important for, I guess there's two really, but the main deck is Amulet Amulet decks because the fact that this comes in untapped and you can generate mana off of that so you can get five mana the turn it comes into play if you're playing it on... Turn three, you get the six mana to play a Primeval Titan. Primeval Titan can get two more. They come into play untapped for another six mana. Like, it does that whole loop. That is just what that deck is trying to accomplish regardless. Um, I think this card I think this card is probably the best card in the in the set for, the, for Modern. I because mean, it does, the Amulet Titan ex- exists. It does seem extremely strong, yeah, for that reason. And then also, obviously, now they're making the Lands deck more of a thing. So the fact that you could... Turn two, Ren and six, and turn three, you know, or like turn three, tap your two man, two lands, play Lotus Field, then cast, then play Lotus Field, and uh, your two lands will go to the graveyard, but you've got Ren and six to start picking those lands back up out right, of here. Right. So, so yeah, even the- if you're not doing busted amulet things. Uh, if your deck is a land-based deck, this card seems pretty good. Absolutely, I'm I'm really excited about it, and I, I, like obviously, Amulet Titan is the first place it goes to. But then, as you said, there's a bunch of new strategies that involve lands getting into your graveyard that I'm also excited about playing around with. And if there and if there are ever any cards that untap target land or something like that, then it starts obviously becoming even stronger. Which, which there are like Ponza decks would love this card. There's I don't know if the- you would necessarily ever play it in Blue White Control, but the fact that Teferi can untap this as one of your oh, two lands yeah. and have. Like, if you have this and an island, and you have Teferi, and you activate his plus one, when you untap, now you have Cryptic Command Mana open. Right, right. That on That's the really turn strong. that you played him, which yeah. is just like... Or or the uh, the new charm. Yes, the Archmage's, Archmage's charm. charm. Just yeah. without the another island, so just even, whatever. So even if you're not doing something stupid with Lotus Field, it's still... if you're just, if, you're, if you're just turn two, if you turn three, you're just 
playing a two a two mana spell and then you're playing Lotus Field and just accepting that you're gonna go shields down, but you're not totally because there's pact negation. Yeah. Uh, or but, yeah, other effects. But then the moment you get to untap with Lotus Field, like now you're like sitting in gravy. Yep. yep. I think it's really good. Yeah. All right. So that's the last card. I mean, there's a bunch of maybes, but I, I don't think there were there were a lot of. The, I mean, there's a lot more exciting cards, but we were trying to make sure that we got it all onto this for one episode. After doing so many episodes where we we're doing like 80 cards over four weeks, we wanted to try and get something a little bit more succinct. If we missed a card, we would love to hear your thoughts both at Twitter. Uh, if you're listening to the audio format, but if you're on YouTube right now, comment below. Uh, we'd love to understand which cards you think we missed and why do you think they're exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these were the top 21 because you snuck one in <laughs> cards in Magic 2020. It's true. Ruin, you ruined the thing. <laughs> we had a thing going. Well, you uh, can just ignore that part. I'll all right. Part out. I guess we won't we won't talk about uh, uh, we'll pretend that we didn't talk about Goblin Ringleader or uh, brought back. Those don't count. Brought back brought doesn't back count. doesn't count because we already talked. Yeah, about it was it. a preview episode. So top 20 cards that aren't brought back in Magic 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a bunch of places to follow us. We said at the beginning, but at Twitter, I'm at Kess Wiley. I'm at Marsh Unfocused. Uh, we are ben Bateman is, is at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, we are at the MM Cast. Uh, follow us on uh, Patreon. Become a patron. We yes, got that some is cool stuff. Uh, right now, if you would love to hear what goes on behind the scenes, we are going to start putting up the raw audio and raw video on Patreon, exclusive for Patreon members. Yep, uh, for sure. At least the raw audio. Oh, sure. Yes. Um, you tell me whatever's easiest. I guess we'll figure that out. But there will be <laughs> raw content of the uh, unreleased stuff that we talk about, stuff that you don't normally get to hear about. And um, cool stuff, yeah. And there's a Discord that there's a section of the Discord exclusive to people in the in in the Patreon and then also the Discord in regular. And we'll start posting deck lists to there. We're also going to start doing live streams this week. Uh, and hopefully it happens or maybe next week because I'm going to VidCon. But soon I'll be doing an, a box opening of... Uh, um, it was a sweet box. Oh, a Japanese War of the Spark box that I got. Um, so that'll be cool. Um, and a bunch of other cool content. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for your attention. See you later, alligator. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future. 